Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. But today I want to answer one question that was probably the most disturbing question. It's the best question that we have received, that I have received, but it's also the most disturbing. Uh, I think it's bothered hey hey more than anybody. And, uh, but it's some simple question from one of our amazing amazing ladies who is in our student ministry and the question simply read like this does God love women as much as men now I need you to buckle up because all of you know the answer to that but all of you immediately start going places because you've been told some lies And I want to just biblically go through, and I'm going to address probably the greatest concept of God's word as far as everyone's role. And I want to go ahead and preface, it's been a good run, and this will probably be my last message at Crossroads. (laughs) No, it's going to be great. But, excuse me, but to answer that question just before we dive into it, resoundingly, yes. Yes, God loves women as much as men. But I think that's one of those questions that there's really some some underlining to it, right? Like what would make somebody question that? Yes, I believe God loves everybody the same. What does that mean? God could not love you anymore. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're an American or whether you are a part of the Taliban, whether you're Muslim or Christian, whether you have a relationship with Christ or whether you do not have a relationship with Christ, God does not segment his love based on gender, social status, or your religious views. God loves everybody as much as he possibly can. In fact, we know scripture, and you've heard this, for God so loved the world that what he gave His only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that seems so simple, but you need to understand that God, when he looks at you, he doesn't see what you see. Like God knows you, and scripture says he's numbered the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you, but he doesn't look at you as man, woman, American, different nationality, different races, he looks at you as the apple of his eye is what scripture says. Did you know that? Scripture says that you're the apple of God's eye. So it made me think this. Why would somebody even doubt or ask that question? I think it's a great question. It's a challenging question for our leadership. Because the first thing that I wanted to do is go, okay, what are we not teaching that would make somebody even think that? But I know that a lot of times some of the questions that we have in our life, to be honest with you, they're just flawed questions from the beginning. But I think there's three main things if you want to take notes. And again, I'm going to go a little bit rogue because there's a point that I'm getting to today. I think there's three contributing factors that makes you and I really miss it when it comes to what God thinks about people. And especially when it comes to what God thinks about ladies. 
The first thing I want you to write down, I think one of the contributing factors that really hits us, that I think gets really lost in the wash, that is not a biblical concept, though it is all throughout God's word, is that we have a hard time understanding the difference in society and environment's thought and biblical truth. Like we have a way that the environment in which we live, the society in which we live, the social concept in which we live will govern the things that we think about, the things that we believe, and the things that we take as truth. Here's the way it looks. If enough people says it's right, and everybody is doing that, then does it make it right? And the reality is, is Scripture is very clear in Romans, and we're going to get to Matthew at the end of this, but i got a lot of other Scriptures beforehand. But the reality is, is this. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, listen to these words. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can I put that in everyday English? Just because everybody says something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because a society has deemed that this is the correct way does not mean that it's the correct way. I can give you two major examples of the reason why in our culture, and I'm going to be real careful to stay away from profiling or trying to do different things, but I'm going to tell you one of the main reasons why a lot of times ladies, you ladies in the room, that you approach life as if you have to take a less than role is because you've bought a lie in what your environment and society has told you. I'll give you a great example. There was a major twice war, world war that took place in our world because of the wrong philosophies and somebody trying to make a perfect, what they thought, the perfect race. There was the Holocaust and the Jewish people that were being killed. And, and it just if you ever get a chance to go to D.C., I know you'll think, oh, there's the Capitol. Oh, do yourself a favor. Go to the Holocaust Museum. One of the greatest experiences of my life. And to watch and to really identify and understand what the Jewish people went through during this Nazi Germany time and how entrenched this whole group of people became in belittling and tearing people down. And it spread throughout society. A lot of you ask, well, you know, and I want to be careful here. Why do we get involved in some of these conflicts? It's really none of our business. We should just stay out of that. If we just did our own thing, you know, we're over here. The reason why we get involved in world conflicts is because we're trying to stop a third world war. Scripture says is to know what's right and not to do it is a sin. So sometimes you've got to step up and you've got to fight for things, even though you may not feel like it's your fight. Why? Because people are worthy of being fought for. That's what happened in World War I and then also in World War II. And it still goes on today. A lot of our news has been built around these different conflicts, in particular in the Middle East, which brings up a second example. One of the biggest issues going on in today's world is this aspect of the Taliban. You know what the biggest issue with the Taliban is? Is number one, their beliefs are wrong, but especially the way that they look at and treat women. But because of that, we start filtering that out and we allow the devaluing of different people because of what other people say in society, and we unintentionally embrace that whether we want to or not. 
I want to be very careful, but I'll also be very stern. If you grew up in the South, you better be careful with the way you look at different races. Because you would fool yourself if you don't think that every day you're not getting bombarded with racial overtones and different things that are coming up. I love, there's a book that Ken Ham wrote that's called One Race. One Blood, One Race. And it's a phenomenal thing. In the beginning, you realize that God created one race. It's called humankind. And depending on the pigments of your skin does not change the blood that flows through you, the heart that he's given you, the mind he's given you to think, and the way that he loves us and wants more. But we have went through some major difficult times. Now, I know if you're like me, you have people, oh, but I didn't do this, and I didn't listen. It ain't about what you've done or not done. It's about recognizing, do you value people the way God values them? If God says you're the apple of his eye, then when I look at him, how do I see him? Do I see the guy on the street begging for food as the apple of God's eyes, or do I look at him as a bum trying to take the easy way out? Do I look at people that have struggles and have went through some major issues in their life as somebody that is broken and going through trials that God's trying to restore? Or do I start thinking, well, it's their own fault because of the choices they've made? See, I believe there's a major overtone in this question that really filters to a bunch of other things. And I want to ask you one simple question. When you look at other people, what do you see? What's their worth? Do you base their worth on what they are allowed to pour into your life? Oh, now this person, I really like them. Wow, because, I mean, they, they have something to offer me. They help me move forward. There's something that I can gain from being in this relationship. Like, is the worth of people based on what they have worth in your life, or is the worth of people based on what God's word says? That's the first contributing factor that I think gets us a little bit off kilter when we answer this question about, about women and men and how God looks at both of them. The second thing that I think gets us really off in this contribution of, of, of different things is Paul's writings in three different churches. You can do a little bit of research. You can write this down. You can put the notes in your iPhone or whatever you want. But his letters to the church at Corinth, his letter to the church at Ephesus, his letter to the church at Galatia, you know it as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You know it as Ephesians and you know it as Galatians. He addresses some different roles in ladies' life. And we look at that as these defining roles that affect everything. Now, let me be real careful before I dive into this. You need to know that I call myself, and hopefully I do this, what we call an exegetical pastor. What does that mean? I believe the text means exactly what it means. I don't care how it makes you feel. I don't care what, well, at this point it meant something else. That's great. That's called the living word of God and how it affects us. But the reality of it is God inspired his word, and the text always means exactly what it means. 
When I get into God's word, I start reading it verbatim and saying, okay, what does this mean? And if I start struggling with a certain concept, I go back to its original context, which is either Greek or Hebrew, and I start studying the different adjectives and the different verb tenses and the way, and really try to get, because the text always means what the text means. Like, we don't have to try to figure this out, like, oh, is there some subliminal message here? No, it's, it's exactly what it means. But when it comes to those three letters, four if you conclude first and second Corinthians, Paul was not addressing every woman that would ever live. He was addressing certain issues in those three churches. Now, question. So are you telling me that God's word is not relative for today? Absolutely not. Do I believe that God's word is just as present today as it was in the past? Absolutely so. But you need to know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when he's talking about different things with the women, and he uses this terminology, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I think it's around verse 12. Don't hold me to that. But it's somewhere around there where he says that women should remain quiet in the church. He is not talking about all of you ladies and saying, shut up. What he was doing was addressing a situation that was going on in that particular New Testament church that was early in its plant. In fact, this is very consistent with God's word. Do you know that every time in God's church or in God's people, when people were getting off kilter or doing the wrong thing, God's word addressed those things so that he could move them forward? You want me to give you an example? Why do you have the Ten Commandments? Because the Old Testament people, after being released from captivity, Moses goes up on a mountain. While he's gone, Aaron's like, hey, dude, I don't know if he's coming back. Let's make a golden calf. Moses comes down, gets so upset that he breaks the tablets. I would have loved to have seen that. But anyway, it lets me know that it's okay to have a little bit of fire in me. But then he turns around and he has to go back and rewrite these tablets. Why? Because you need to know that it is not a j- obedience. Let me put it this way. Obedience is not gender specific. Anytime God's people are being disobedient to him, he very quickly, through his word, spoke to them. And we get this holy canon that we can read it and know that it affects our lives today. And he corrects, but also restores them. He did it for the whole Jewish people. It wasn't just the ladies. He did it to all of them. You say, give me an example. Uh, 40 years in the wilderness. He didn't say, hey, guys, y'all going to the promised land. Ladies, y'all are in the desert. In fact, Moses, because of the way he struck a rock, was never allowed to enter into the promised land. In fact, a lot of ladies had the repercussion of sinful men that turned around and affected their lives so that they would be in the wilderness. So when Paul's writings, when he's talking about the roles of a husband and a wife, when he's talking about this aspect of, of in 1 Corinthians in particular, you need to understand what was going on. The text always means what the text means. But you'll also know that Corinth was the original Las Vegas. The reason why he talks about love and talks about the body and talks about it having many parts and he has this amazing love chapter in chapter 13 is because it was a very sensual, sexual city. 
And so when he is talking to those ladies and determining what their role was, he was trying to put down something that was bringing itself up. Another example that I'll show you how this happens in a very, very real way, and I did write a few things down to make sure I don't get too far off course, is the aspect of the Pharisees. Let me tell you how God, God never looks at gender when it comes to obedience. He looked at Pharisees. Pharisees would be the equivalent of today's pastors, but really not. It'd be more than that. The Pharisees would have known the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What do I mean by know them? They would have had them memorized. Just think about that. The Levitical law and the way that the law works, they would have that memorized. There would be nobody that would be literally more in God's word. These are the people that would put themselves in different situations to go into the Holy of Holies. The high priest would have been a Pharisee. You had the Pharisees and the scribes. They were all men. But do you know that what Jesus looked at them, you know what he called them? He said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you hold dead bones. You know what he was saying? You are not life-giving. Why? Because their actions were not meeting up with God's calling on their life. God's desire for you to do what he's called you to do has never been based on your gender. Another concept that's there is the aspect of not just the Pharisees, but you also have the concept of, I talked about God's people, but you also have the concept of the woman caught in adultery. Here was a woman that was caught in adultery. They're getting ready to stone her. Who was going to stone her? The men. Jesus comes on the scene. He kneels down in the sand. He writes something in his sand. He gets up, and as he gets up, he simply says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then in complete silence, you heard thumping. Thump, 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 which was the sound of people dropping their rocks and going home. And then he gets this woman and he picks her up. And he says, who has condemned you? See, God wants to restore women. God wants to empower people. God wants to use men God wants to use women. God wants to use adults. God wants to use children. God wants to use older adults, middle-aged adults, 20-something adults, teenage adults, eight-year-old kids. God says, you know what? I, you're the apple of my eye. You say, but Mickey, what's happened to make us forget that? You've listened to the wrong things. You've had people in your life, whether it be a podcast or a pastor, in previous churches that have got up and told you things, and determined really, here, here's the issue, right? Are there different roles for men and women? Like, that's the underlining question, right? Are there different roles that God has for men and for women? Well, I want to answer that very carefully. If you want to talk about different roles, I think you need to understand not just the way God looks at people, but you also need to look at the validation and what God has done through different women and men. For example, when you want to talk about different roles, God's greatest desire was to have a relationship with you. And then 
he had this amazing concept that he made Adam in his own image, and out of Adam he created Eve. And then to populate the world, the first two commandments, one was a no and one was a yes, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Do you know who he bestowed the ability to create life with? Now, I know it takes two. I got five kids. I understand. Every time we got pregnant, somebody's like, do you know how that works? I'm like, no, I just, I don't know what's happening. We got to quit eating fish, evidently. But you need to know that what God is doing is he's empowering people. And are there different roles that God has for individuals? Listen very carefully. Yes. But they're not necessarily gender specific. I love the way Hey Hey has said this many times. The two greatest times in a person's life is when they're born and when they discover what they're born for. I'm so thankful that everybody in this room doesn't have the same purpose on their life. We all have different roles, right? I'm going to go back to that in a minute, but let's talk about more about this validation. Because we've been sold a bill of goods thinking that, that gender or race or socioeconomic status or, or American or nationality, that it, that it has belittled somebody. We've let our society dictate what we believe about people. Another aspect that you can know as far as the way God uses women is we can also look at not only just the way that he has his procreation and the role that women play, but you can also look at the way that he himself chose to enter this world. Scripture says that he is seed of a woman. He was born of a virgin, Virgin Mary. And that's how God himself entered this world without any sin. And he used an amazing lady. I am so glad that Mary, when the angel appeared to her, didn't go, well, you know, whew, you know, I don't know how they think about me. I don't know if this is really right. Well, I just, you know, I'm just a lady. I don't know that I can do this. Can you not give that to a man to do? See, we focus more on trying to be the same rather than relishing in our differences. Do you know one thing that I'll never do? Physically not possible. I'll never birth a child. Do you know one thing that I don't have a desire to do? My wife is a champ. But isn't it funny how all of a sudden in our society, and boy, i got to be real careful here, what did make us think that, that what our roles are is not enough? Like how stupid would it be? I just, this is not fair. I just, I wish I could be pregnant. I wish I could, could carry my child around for nine months. I'd like to feel life growing inside of me, and I'd like to give birth. Why? Is what God's calling you to not enough? Like, really, what we're talking about is do you trust God or not? Does he really know what's best for you or not? 
I am so, boy, again, whoop, careful. Got to be careful here. I'm so tired in 2021 of the loss of gender identification and men feeling like they need to be feminized and women feeling like they need to be masculine in order to succeed in life and in their different roles. Ladies, look at me. You can be a very powerful woman and go do anything that you want to do. You don't have to be masculine to be the CEO of a company. You don't have to take what God has created in you and belittle what he has created you to go get everything that he wants for you. All you have to do is recognize to not let your mind be conformed to what the world's saying. We are in a very distorted, struggling society. I would love to tell some of the amazing women that are in our government that you're good enough. You don't have to try to be something you're not. You trying to carry a masculine role doesn't help anybody. Be you. But you know, there's one other thing that I wrote down. It's the aspect that we can look and talk about validation of women. We can also look at, at different women and their biblical roles in which they use. You know, the first ones I think about is the father of many nations. You had Sarai, who became Sarah, and dealt with infertility or being barren. But then out of that, God opens up her womb and we have Isaac. And then Isaac finds Rachel, who's barren. Like, there's this constant story. But God opens up her womb, and, and we have the birthing of many nations. And we have God's people being, being brought out throughout all the earth. We can look at amazing people in God's word that you can look at. I don't like using the word story because that makes it sound like this fable, but it's actually biblical accounts. But if you want to know how big of a deal women can be in God's purpose and what he's called them to do and how much it affects everybody, go study Mordecai. And see how big of a role Esther is. I, I'm so tired. I gotta be, I'm just going to say it. I don't care. I'm so tired of people putting women in a box saying, hey, that Proverbs 31, now that's what you need to do. Listen, don't sell yourself just to that one chapter. Ladies, look at me. I think it's a great chapter. But I don't think it's all God has for you. Let those attributes be in your life. Yeah, anything that's godly, let it be in our life. But you are fooling yourself if you don't think that God wants something more to you, that he wants to use you, he wants to glorify himself through you, he wants to build you up and strengthen you. We can look at the Samaritan woman at the well. You want to talk about a major role? Jesus runs into this lady at the well. You can find it in the Gospel of John. And all of a sudden, as he's, as he's doing this, all of a sudden, they start asking these different questions. And she, he goes, well, do you have a husband? She's like, no, I do not have a husband. He goes, you speak correctly because you have many husbands. And she's like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Dude done read my mail. What's going on here? I'll give you a little bit of backdrop. I usually do when I say this. It's really cool. If you look at the Old Testament, a lot of people met their wife at the well. So when Jesus encounters this woman at the well and says, do you have many husbands? This woman's thinking, oh, this guy's interested in me. And you know what? He was. Because he wanted to birth in her living water. And a whole group of people, the Samaritans, 
That was the mixture of the Jews and Gentiles that had breed it together. I hate that word breed. That sounds like we've got dogs. What does that even mean? But that's what Scripture says. But they've, they've mixed together. And he lets him know through a woman that I've came for everybody. So can I ask you another question? What makes you think that God's roles for women is less than the roles for men? God's word simply does not support that. God loves men and God loves women. And he's empowered both of them to change the world through Christ. I am amazed, especially in the southern Protestant church, how we have this concept of like there's a hierarchy when it comes to serving God because of our gender. In fact, I, I want to get into God's word. I've just got a few more minutes. So here's a bigger question. Is there a limit to how God uses people? Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you're not going to see this scripture, but it's a whole aspect that's talking about the body that has many parts. And I want to very quickly go back to what I said a minute ago of understanding what your role is and not looking at everybody else's role. You need to know that what God's called you to is enough. I think for whatever reason, we look at life and we look at other people and we look at what they're doing and we go, well, I want to do that. Why? Like, what about we just love Jesus and whatever he's called us to, that's what we're going to pursue. In fact, at the end, it says this amazing, amazing scripture. Because he's talking about prophets, he's talking about pastors, he's talking about all these different roles and talking about all these different gifts. In fact, it's after this that he goes into the aspect of the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. After that, he goes into this aspect of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But he's trying to get the, the aspect to let them understand at this church that there is something greater that you should seek. And here's what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. I think that a lot of times the reason why we struggle, and this is not gender specific, this is for all of us. The reason why we struggle is we got the wrong desires. Well, I want to have the gift of tongues. I want to have the gift of prophecy. I want to have the gift of miracles. That's what they were dealing with in this church. Jesus had empowered the apostles to do many signs and wonders. And oh, well, I want to be able to do that. Well, why can't I do that? Well, I just want to do that. And he's like, you're, you're desiring the wrong things. He said, desire the highest things. And I will show you a more excellent way. Do you know that if you were to translate that word, it's actually the word that he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because he goes right into it. It's another way of saying love. Do you know what the greatest thing that you can use that changes everything? It's your love. It's not your status. It's not your career. It's not your job. It's not your role. I don't even know what that means. 
It's the aspect of loving God so much that you say, God, I want to fulfill my great purpose that you have. Do you know that everybody in the room has the same purpose? You say, what? You just told us everybody's different. Oh, no, no. We fulfill it differently. But everybody in this room and online, and everybody's going to listen to this podcast, everybody has the same exact purpose. You know what that is? To serve God by serving others. To serve God by serving others. And you know how you do that? you got to love people more than you love yourself. I have found that a lot of times when people are questioning their role and what God's calling them to do, really what they're questioning is their love for themselves. Can I give you some major freedom today? Listen to me. Whatever it is God has called you to do is exactly what we need from you. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.